Well, I want us to look at what the scripture says about worship a little bit today. And there are many different words that are used for worship. Uh, and we're going to look at a few of them. But in the Hebrew, uh, there are so many different nuances, so many different methods of worship. And worship is about I mean, that's the purpose for which we were created as we started the service with. It's the purpose for why we exist, to bring worship and glory and praise to God Almighty. And so as we consider that, we're going to look at Psalm 100 here in just a moment. It's called the Old 100. And you will notice this in that psalm, and this is very typical of Hebrew uh, literature, of Hebrew really poetry in this sense. It was literally a song that would be sang. And you'll see that it talks about how we are to worship, and then it'll say why we worship, and how we worship, and why. It's kind of a, a back and forth. And, and that's a very common uh, method of writing, even in, in Scripture for that matter. And so as we do that, you'll, you'll, see those, uh, you'll see that truth that will ring forth from Psalm 100. And in this picture, what would ha- this is the, the picture of what would be going on is the, the Hebrews, the Israelites would be gathering and, and they would be walking in to worship. They're coming into the gates and, and they're making noises and they're singing and everybody knows what's about to happen because there's great anticipation. It's the call to worship. I'm coming to the tabernacle. They believe they were coming to the presence of God and that's what's occurring here. And that's what's transpiring as we read this passage here in just a second. And as we do that, uh, I want us to understand a few Hebrew terms and Hebrew words. Now, what we typically do, uh, the, the word, one of the words that's used for congregational singing, kind of what we're doing here, and matter of protect. Matter of fact, particularly with um, instruments, matter of fact, zamar means to uh, play skillfully. Uh, the zamar, that's what we typically do. It's kind of, so, it's like a group leads you, it's a choir or band or leader, someone leads you, and it's all in a melody. It's, it's a song and it's uh, probably supplemented by instruments. Uh, we see in Psalm 150 the instruments that they primarily used in the Old Testament. And so that's what we typically do is the zamar. It's kind of the congregational singing. But there's some other Hebrew words that I want you to understand. Now, with this, let me say this. If you go look up these words, you're not going to find them exactly spelled the same everywhere you look. Because in the Hebrew, I don't know if you know this, but there's only consonants. There's not vowels. So we've gone back in and tried to put vowels. So we really don't even accurately know how to pronounce them in Hebrew, much less when we translate them into English. And then we put them in transliteration. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're, we're translating them, and then we're trying to put them in our words, and our vernacular, and sometimes there's not an, an exact equivalent, as in several of these words. So just know that. So I'm trying to give you uh, an understanding, and almost every one of these words, there's only one of these words that we're going to not find in Psalm 100. So let's, let's learn a few Hebrew words, a couple of expressions to know as we look at this, and we'll see them in just a moment. The first one's ruah, and there's also another word called shabak. It's not found right here, but they both mean the same thing. It means a shout or a call. It's time to start. Sometimes they would blow the trumpet. It's time to begin. Ruah, and there would be a shout. It's time, amen, praise the Lord, whatever they would say. It it was a shout that was given, and people would say that word coming in, or maybe they would use another expression as they would come in, the call to worship, the call to come to the courts of the tabernacle, and let's begin. Then there's awah, or awah, as we look at this abah, so to speak, 
That's how somebody from Louisiana says it. But nevertheless, uh, Abba, it's, it's the serving and the worship. We'll see that word in just a moment. These two words are used uh, so frequently in Scripture. When you see the word Abba, or abide might even be how you would, you would pronounce it. Um, when you see that word, sometimes it's translated as worship. Sometimes it's translated as serve because they were so interconnected. Serve the Lord. Serve. It's time to serve the Lord. Now, we do that when we come to church, don't we? We come in uh, and we all buy. Hopefully, you come in uh, ready to praise and you see a need. You, meet, you, you see someone who's on their own or you see somebody who's looking for something. You see uh, maybe there's something in the seats. Maybe the chairs aren't straight. Whatever the situation might be, there's a need within the congregation. There's a ministry need. And you come in ready to worship, not just about you, but you come in with a corporate sense. And that's what we're primarily talking about with worship. Worship's everything we do, of course. But in this context, we're talking about the corporate worship. Then there's the Ren Ana. The Ren Ana. That's the celebrative singing. That's why we usually start with a celebration, with an upbeat song of praise and of worship to God. Then there's the Yada. Now, this, the root word is found in this text, but not the word actually Yada. And Yada is this. It's the raising of the hands toward God, uh, but it's a, it's a surrender. It's a surrender. I, I, I surrender myself to God. And it might be like a song, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It's a song of that nature. or It doesn't have to be a song, but it's a heart of that nature of recognize our needs. It's like a child to their mother or their father. I need you. I want you. I lift myself up. I open myself up. I surrender. I surrender all, all to you, Jesus. And this has been, been a very common uh, posture, by the way, uh, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites in the Old Testament. This would have been the standard to stand with your hands raised in praise, particularly at certain times. Uh, the next one is tada or toda. And this toda is, is very simly, similar to yada, but it's the raised hand in affirmation. Uh, you, you would raise it. So we might be singing a song like, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ's Son. It's an affirmation. I believe that. I, I believe that's right, and I believe that's true, and I affirm that. I affirm you, God. I, I bless you, God. That's the picture right there. Uh, another Hebrew word uh, we mentioned while I mentioned telah, the Tehillah, which is uh, basically this. It's when I'm singing to the Lord. Now, everybody else might be singing, but I'm not trying to do harmony. Uh, I'm not even trying to come in in the right spot. I've, I've just kind of made it a time where, God, I just want my heart to pour out to you. And there, sometimes it's a song, it just wells up inside you. And sometimes people just stand because it's just that welling. It's the tala coming out of you. And when you stand to worship or even when you raise your hand or even when you sit and you just start to sing it, it just kind of wells up. It's just naturally from your heart as it re- resonates with the Spirit of God. And then there's the uh, barak, which is to kneel. We see this term, we see a couple different words that mean this, to worship uh, as a matter of fact, this is the most common understanding. It's the picture of just falling flat before, a, a, uh, before majesty, before a leader. It it's literally means to kneel in reverence. So it's that picture right there. The tobe. Uh, the tobe is, it simply means it. it means beauty, it means beautiful. And it's not just talking about the physical attraction, but something that's pure. It's like seeing a sunset or a beautiful waterfall and you're just, you're just overwhelmed with the beauty and the purity. It's like uh, seeing your bride for the first day uh, of the wedding. It's, it's that utmost 
pure and beautiful and moving and stirring. It's that you just embrace that beautiful and you recognize how value and how wonderful and beautiful something is. And then the last word, which many Hebrews, many Jews would say, this is the most important word in our scriptures, the hesed. Now, if we were going to spell it the way we do today, you'd put a C in front of it, but I figured that would just confuse you further. So I'm just putting the H-E-S-E-D in it, okay? But the hesed, the loving, faithful, covenant love bonding of God Almighty to his people. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now, let's look at Psalm 100. We've got a little bit of that background. And let's look at Psalm 100. And let's see what uh, the encouragement uh, to worship, how and the why. And you'll see that in this text as we just walk through it. Beginning with verse 1. Make a joyful noise. Ruah. Shavat. Make a joyful noise. It's the call to start. Make the noise to the Lord, Yahweh. This is his covenant name. Anytime you see capitalizations, you see the Lord and capitalizations in your Bible like that, it's talking about the covenant name, Yahweh. In Exodus 3, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? Tell them, I am. I am. The the great I am, Yahweh. I am the one who has always been, the one who will always be. I am the one in whom everything is created and all life comes from. I am Yahweh. And the Bible says, make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. He literally says, all the peoples of the earth. As people see worship, genuine worship, we are drawn to genuine worship. And it's a beautiful testimony. It's a beautiful witness when we worship in purity with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve There's that word, Abba. It means to serve or to worship, to do whatever is necessary. It's it's the picture of a a slave coming before his master. He's called, and he's been called, and he comes in. In any need that he sees, he immediately starts to meet it in worship and respect and honor of the master. It continues, he says, with gladness, with delight. He says, serve Yahweh, worship Yahweh with delight, with gladness. Come into his presence. That word come, uh, the Hebrew word, uh, we'll literally call it bow, okay? Means to approach, to come in, approach, begin, start, know, know that God is here and approach him. Come into his presence with singing. Now the word singing there, that's the renana right there, okay? The Ren-Ana. It's the celebrative singing that we talk about as we began this process. So this morning, maybe you walked in and we had a call to worship. And uh, as we had that, after that call to worship, um, we uh, began the process of worship. Maybe you moved around. Maybe you were helping people get seats. Maybe you were showing someone where a seat was. And then you begin to celebrate in song. That's the picture that's transpiring here. And the Bible says, know that the Lord... Yahweh, he is God. Now, God right there, he's talking about Elohim. He's talking about the God. He is the God. He is God. God and God alone. Know that Yahweh is God. It is he who made us, and it tells us why. It tells us right here why we are to worship. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who made us. We are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And then it goes back to to how again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, with Torah. With Torah. Affirming 
who he is. Affirming that he is the great king. Affirming that he is God. You know, I, I know for every once in a while I'll talk to somebody and they'll say something like this. Is your church one of those hand-raising churches? <laughs> like that's a denomination or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of funny. And sometimes we get, I don't know about all that. Can I tell you, it's very biblical, very scriptural. Uh, the Jews were very expressive in their worship, still are today. And so, you know, this is not meant to be a guilt statement, but I would say sometimes just when you're in the praise and if, if the spirit wells up inside of you and you, you're singing something you, you believe, it's, it's, it's okay to just say, I believe. As a matter of fact, that might even be a challenge to you next time that you're singing and you feel like, you know, this is something I really affirm and I really believe. And I know if you're raised Baptist, that completely freaks you out. You know, and I, I, I get it. And uh, we, no, nobody, you know, we don't have the hand-raising police telling you to stop or to start or anything. That's, that's up between you and the Spirit of God. But I just want you to know that it's, it's okay, that it's, it's biblical. And it's not, you know, it's a hand-raising church, and this is not the hand-raising church. It doesn't make you more spiritual that you do raise your hands either. And uh, you don't need to think, what's wrong with this guy? Because he's not. That means you're not in the right spirit, all right? It's strictly between you and God. All right, now that you're completely uncomfortable, let's continue to move right on here. And the courts of praise. It, you know, Paul talks about, you know, worshiping God with, with hymns and prayers and spiritual songs. And right here we see, we see this continuing continuum of, of different ways to worship him. And why? Because we're to worship with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Sometimes we can get into the church mentality and, you know, and maybe some churches even have the mentality, you know what, we're going to worship him with our mind. We're going to think about it. We're going to be very pensive. And guess what? That's an important part of worship. I, I would say I would rather you think about what you're doing and saying and, and that you worship with your mind if you're not going to do anything else. But I think you're selling yourself short and scripturally we're selling God short if we only worship with our mind. We worship with our heart and our soul, and our mind with all that we are. So yes, it's emotion, and yes, it's intellectual, and yes, it should be just a welling of what we naturally want to do. But the Bible says to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and the psalmist says, give, right here he says, come with tada and in accordance with praise. That word praise right there is the telel, and it's just that song, that just kind of wells up out of you that you just sing. And you're not necessarily trying to sing it loud or soft. Maybe you're whispering it. Maybe you're just saying, these are my words, God. This is what I want to say with my heart, but I'm unable to say with my mouth. This is my praise. This is a prayer unto you. It's the Tehillel. Lord, you be praised and glorified. Yes, we're doing this as a congregation, but Lord, right now, I just want to focus in on you and give you the worship you deserve and give thanks to him and bless his name. Give thanks, the yada, give thanks. And the barak, bless. That's another form. Humble yourself, bow before his name. For the Lord is good, Tob. The Lord is beautiful. He is pure. He is holy. He is wonderful. He is all that is good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all 
generations. His steadfast love, that word hesed, hard for us to understand. It means loyal love, covenant loyalty, complete commitment to it. It means favor and mercy. But those words all kind of fall short. The, the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, loved to watch birds. And we have a lot of documentation about how they would use birds as illustration. And there were two birds we see, uh, come, we see throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. One was the ostrich. And usually when you see the ostrich, they're kinda, it's kind of a negative response because the, they didn't fully understand the ostrich at that time. They didn't understand uh, what their habits were and how they produced. But they could just see from external. I mean, they weren't catching ostriches and making them pets at that point or anything. And uh, they didn't have zoos. So they would only see them out in the wild. And uh, they just knew that they just seemed to kind of be dirty birds. You know what I mean? They were strong. They were powerful birds. But they, uh, they, the Jews didn't respect them because it appeared to them that they would just lay eggs out on the ground. In fact, they would do it in the warmth of the sand and so that they would have a little bit of warmth there. Uh, and, uh, but it, it appeared like they'd just drop these eggs in the dirt. And on top of that, there's an there's a alpha ostrich, so to speak, and then he'll have several hens, and then his primary hen will be the one who lays the eggs first, and then the other hens will lay eggs right around it, and that, that, that one hen will come around, and she'll, she'll spread out over them, but sometimes there are more eggs, and she'll just kind of kick them off to the side. Sometimes there's too many, and she won't take care of them, but it appears she's not taking care of her eggs, and then pretty much after birth, they, they, don't, they don't stick around. They don't really help them a whole lot, if a predator comes, they'll try to uh, lure them away or screech at them. But a lot of times, you know, the coyotes or the jackals or whatever, they'll come and get the eggs. And so the, the Jews would look at that bird and just say, you know, that's just kind of a nasty bird. Lays its eggs on the ground. Doesn't take care of all its younglings. And so they would have some kind of negative things to say about the ostrich. So when you see that in the book of Job and some other places, it's usually not in a positive light. But there was a bird that, which they, that they looked at that they, were, they looked very positively and very honoring. It was the stork, what we call the stork today. And they would watch a stork, and the stork would not put its eggs on the ground or in the dirt, but would high in a tree or in the cleft where something couldn't do it, and then it would just stay there. It would stay as long as it possibly could, and uh, it would protect, the, protect those eggs. And it was always there. If it was raining, it would, it would hover over those eggs. And even after they were born, the, the stork, many times the children would stay with them a year, two, three, even three years. They, they can document sometimes even as long as three years. So they would see this mother who would take care of her, her, her eggs and would stay with it and then would stay with them long term. And so they call that bird Hasadah. It's from that word Hesed. It's long time. It's everlasting. It's, it's covenant. It's committed love. Not like an ostrich, but like the stork. And it was a picture that they used to understand their relationship to God and how God loved them. Now, let me give you a better illustration for us today to understand. Dr. Wilder, who's an older scholar now, um, tells a story about when he was a young man. He was just a teenager, and he would go and vo- volunteer at this retirement home village. Uh, it was kind of a huge complex, and people could come who, even if they didn't, couldn't afford it, there were lots of, it was just full of seniors, and um, he would go and he would serve and volunteer there. And he said he remembered there was this one lady, though, that just had, ter- she was just terrible. She was just mean. She, was, she would yell. Whenever they'd ring the dinner, dinner bell, she'd come running through, and she'd knock people over. She'd push them out of the way. Even if they had a walker, she would just push them out of the way. She'd get up in first line. She would get her food, and then she would scarf it down, and she'd sit off by herself. 
They would often try to get her to bathe, but she refused. She was not going to a shower. One day after he'd been there about six months, some ladies just physically took her in and just kind of washed her off the best they could. And Dr. Wilder said, I was, I'm a teenage boy and I'm sitting there with an older gentleman and I was fascinated by this guy because this guy spoke 19 languages. He told me all these stories. He, he knew his Bible very well. He had all these stories about history and I was just totally fascinated by him. He was such a gentleman. And I was talking to him one day and this woman walked by and she grunted something at him and said something and just kind of pushed him. And, and you know, Dr. Wilder said, man, I was just kind of offended. I was thinking, ah, I can't believe her. She just drives me crazy. I don't know how y'all put up with her. You know, something ought to be done about her. And she's so rude and has no manners. And did, are you okay? He goes, well, actually, son, that's my wife. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah. He goes, here's, here's what you probably don't understand. He said, um, he said, 60 years ago, we were both in consecration camps. He goes, and he showed him the tattoos from a Nazi consecration camp. He said, my wife has the same tattoo. And he said, we were separated while there. He said, and they did terrible things to her because uh, she was a woman. And then they did terrible things uh, just in experimenting. And he said, you know, about the time we left, she just kind of lost it. He said, before, she, she was a pianist. She's, uh, she taught at a college in our city. She's very, very well educated. She was very eloquent. She was very refined. He said, but it completely unended her. And she just emotionally and mentally has never recovered back. So those showers are something she greatly fears because of what she remembers. The food, because it was so desperate. And she's never gotten that out of her mind. And he thought, he goes, oh, he said, so you've been with her a long time. He goes, yeah, and I always will be. He said, because I made a covenant commitment to her 60 years ago that she would be my wife. So it doesn't matter what she smells like. It doesn't matter what she looks like. It doesn't matter how many people she offends. I will always love her and I will always be committed to her regardless. That's a picture of the hesed of God to us as his children. You're saying, you know, I'm here this morning, that's all great, but how do I practically implement this? Why don't we give you three takeaways this morning, three ways that you can upgrade your worship. First of all, uh, I want you to encourage to upgrade your worship by making Sunday a priority. Making worship a priority. Maybe you, can go, maybe you want to go to another church on Saturday night. It doesn't matter what the day is. And we could get into a big explanation about is it Saturday or is it Sunday. It appears that the early church began to worship on Sunday. If you, go to, if you want a couple of references, look at uh, Acts 20, verse 7, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, we see Jesus talking about at the first day when he resurrected, and we see that first day that they were worshiping. And so that's how the church just kind of moved over to Sunday uh, from Saturday, which is where the Jews worshiped on the Sabbath. Uh, but nevertheless, they made a day a priority. Whether it was Saturday or Sunday, it wouldn't matter. What is the day that you're going to prioritize and say, we're going to worship? We started this service with Hebrews 10.25, and what did it say? Not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together as some have done. Come to the gathering, worship. We worship corporately as one voice and honor and worship and praise to God. Make it a priority. Let your children see it's a priority in your life. I was talking to a guy not long ago, and he goes, man, I got really convicted the other day. He said, um, well, I was there with my 10 or 11-year-old son, and we were talking to somebody, and they asked, invited us to church. And I said, oh, we go to church at Rock Point. And my son goes, no, we don't. He goes, yeah, we do. We remember that. He said, yeah, but we don't ever go. And he goes, yeah, we do. He goes, in my mind, we still went. (laughs) 
He said, you know, we went three or four times a year. And my son goes, no, we don't, we don't go, Dad. He goes, and I was really embarrassed. I was kind of mad at him. And then I thought about it. I understand why he thinks we don't go to church anymore. In my mind, we go. But the reality of it, it doesn't look like it's much a priority. He said, so I'm kind of convicted. I'm ready to start over again. It's, it's a testimony, too, by the way, when people know this is what you do on Sunday. This is a part of who I am. This is, this is part of what I believe. Number two, daily worship. What do I mean by daily worship? Is there a time that you spend with God by yourself each day? In prayer, in scriptures, is there a time? We have these devotionals. And by the way, I, I, it doesn't matter to me if you use this devotion or not. We don't get paid to endorse this. Matter of fact, we pay for them so you can have one. Um, but this is just a starter to get you started. You can do this in two minutes. My son says you can do it in one minute, but I, I told him that's not the point. But... Um, <laughs> This is just, if you're doing nothing, this is a place to start. It will give you a scripture and then a thought for the day. And just a very short illustration. If you're not doing anything, I want to invite you to start. If you can't do two minutes a day, you're way too busy. And we need to get you in serious counseling if you don't have two minutes, all right? I don't want you to stay at two minutes. I want you to do 22 minutes or an hour and 22 minutes. That would be great. But don't just say, I don't have time. I can't. What does worship mean? Worth. It's what I worth. And one of the quotes, I become what I worship. Can you start? I can tell you this, you're not going to grow in faith if you don't start that process. Daily worship. And number three, community worship. Whether that be in a Bible study, a prayer group, an accountability group, a small group. We just think it's important for you to be a part of a group where somebody uh, can speak in your life a place where they can encourage you in worship. So we think that's important. Now, let me give you an illustration. Junie Lee was here last hour, and many of you remember I told the story how his wife and daughter were killed here a couple of weeks ago. And um, I did the funeral here, right here, two weeks ago today. And um, I tell you, I was so amazed. First of all, down when we went to Huntsville, we were down there for four days because of not able for them to release the body, and, and about half his small group spent the whole week down there with him. The, the whole hotel was over just amazing. Matter of fact, I'm still getting emails from the general manager. And it was such a testimony. Uh, Junie and all those who came down and just stayed and helped and worked with the funeral home and just did so much, uh, so many things. Thank you. But it was, it, was, it was because they were part of a community. I did this funeral. And, uh, I, you know, I, I told you if you were here, I, I struggled with that. I was thinking, you just wiped out this guy's whole family. Lord, what, what's going on here? What are you thinking? What, what good can come of this? And um, so the funeral is over, and I'm walking out, and there were over 500 people here. Just, it was just amazing, just a time that honored God, uh, just amazing testimonies. I walk out, and the first people I, I greet, I start talking to them, and I said, how did you know Junie, and how did you know Chihi and Euro? And he said, well, we are actually Buddhist. But we started coming here a couple weeks ago, and I'd, I'd seen him here at one time ch- at church before, and he said, we started coming here because Chihi has been sharing Christ with us, and we've been talking about Christianity. So that's why we're here today, and we, uh, I feel, as a matter of fact, she said this, she said, Chihi is only the second person, Christian, that I've ever known that made me want to be like them. And she goes, there was something so real about her faith that it's made me investigate. So we've been talking about Christianity. And so that's why I'm coming now, because I want to I know more. I want to learn more. My husband and I, our family are Buddhists, but we, we want to know more. I'm going, man, that's, that's so powerful. 
granted, re- recognize I'm not planning any of this. I'm just, you know what pastors do after services, right? You just kind of walk around and, you know, and just kind of do that. That's what I'm doing. I'm just doing my walk around thing. Next family I meet. So I turn there, I go to this next family. They're, they're here. Hi. We start talking. Uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me why you're here. You know, how, how'd, you, how'd you know? Well, we just moved here just a little over a month ago. We moved in the neighborhood, and the first people to knock on our door were Junie and Chihi. And they invited to come, come into their house and to eat. And so we, we came in, we brought our children, and they were so incredibly, they were so kind. And we were just thinking, man, there's something different about this family. And we were so drawn to them, and that's, that's, that's why we've come. And, and uh, because of their, and he didn't use the word testimony, but because of their testimony. Something going on, and um, I'm here in the... Put, taking my headset off, and somebody in the back said, uh, you know, he started crying. He said, I'm, I'll never forget when my father died. The person who showed up was Junie. Now, I don't even know how in the world. How did Junie know that? I didn't even know that because he was in community. I leave there. I walk out. It's time to eat, okay? It's been a long service. It's been about a two-hour service. I'm going to try to get something to eat. And this lady stops, and she goes, ah. Hi, I just want to tell you, thank you. We're, we're talking. I said, well, how did you know? And she goes, well, my daughter got invited by, by Euro. And then she, he started meeting with me. And I've been doing Bible study. And she's been bringing me here to Bible study. And I was just thinking, wow. And I had a friend who said, you know what? I went to a funeral yesterday, and it was terrible. <laughs> you know, he goes, they didn't say anything hardly about the people. And they just had to read some scripture and do a few things. And then went home. That was it. He goes, I want this to be my funeral. I want something like this. And I was thinking, I didn't say it to him. I said, you know, you have to live the life that they lived to have a funeral like this. <laughs> That's how it happens. You know why? Because it was a life of worship. They were in a small group. Every Sunday they were in corporate worship here. They were worshiping, Bible study, prayer group. It was a constant part of their life. They served worship because they valued God. I go in their home to try to get some clothes for him and I see a pillow where they had been kneeling every day over a Bible and you could see that worn pillow where they've been kneeling to pray each day it's because it wasn't just Sunday but it was always Sunday it wasn't uh, just the daily but it was always daily it wasn't just the group but they were integrated in the group it wasn't just serving but they were serving and so when the worst thing imaginable comes and happens how does that man stand and say, you know what? I still believe, and I believe God will sustain me. It hurts, and I can hardly take a step. I said, Jeannie, you're going to go through it. He goes, I'm not mad. I'm broken, but I still believe. And you heard me say this, and I'm glad it happened to them and not me so they wouldn't have to go through this. That's a testimony. That's a testimony of a life of worship. If I were to do your funeral, what would be said about you? If I were to ask your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother, your coworkers, what is it that they worship? What do they give the most worth and value to? What would they say? What would you say? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us so much with that hesed, covenant, unending, enduring love, and that you bought us through the blood of your son. And Lord, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you today, that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Today would be the day of salvation, that they would come and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior.
Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the way the psalmist has so beautifully written this picture of how we can worship and why we worship. I pray, Lord, that as we stand together now to sing that we would worship you in spirit and truth. The great I am, the God who was, who is, and who will always be. The great I am, the God above all who is worthy of our worship. Hallelujah. God's name be praised. Amen.